Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 72. Screwtape proposes a toast. Part 3, The Kids Are All Right. Welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. And wonderfully, we get to uh, jump into the very end of the book. We'll take the last Mm -hmm. two sections of uh, actually a, a subsequent address that Lewis wrote. I think it was published in 1960 in the Atlantic, something like that, uh, called Screwtape Proposes a Toast. When you say, I think, looking at me, my thought is, Andrew, I'd be asking you that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember something there. And they they later pr- put out uh, other editions of the Screwtape letters and tacked on Screwtape Proposes. So that's there. And so we're finishing up the book, you and I. I'm excited. I mean, first of all, with the way this new season is structured of multiple hosts, meaning you, me, and David, and with the guests that are co-hosting, so we, Brenton co-hosted the first two, Brenton Dickinson, the first two parts of this. We had Rochelle, who was another podcast that hosted one of the letters, Trent Horn did. I guess it's a long way of saying, I haven't recorded that much in the last three to four months. And so it's always a blessing to be on here. I really love this. And so I don't, I don't know the last time I recorded with you, Andrew, like two months ago, maybe. Way too long. Way too long. I was beginning to think that you all forgot us or forgot me. I'm like, can I come out and play, guys? I can bring my ball. Honestly, Andrew, I'm in the same camp as you. Sometimes Uh, I wonder, like, because it goes so long in between when I record, I'm like, how are these episodes still going out? Who's on them? Exactly. It's just, it's these guest co-hosts. David does a really good job sourcing them and bringing them on. Uh, it's been it's been such a joy to kind of see this thing grow. I think perhaps the highlight for me is if I weren't part of it, it would be something that I wanted to have happen. And so it mm. feels kind of like what they used to call a miracle just to be able to be involved. And so that's just great. So We'll wrap up screw tape. We got great plans for for next season, and uh, there's just uh, I got a text from you the other day, and uh, 60 years ago it was written, and so prescient, so present. There's it's so relevant to what's going on today, and uh, that's one of the things that I that makes me love Lewis so much is his freshness. Yeah, and so what what he's referring to, listeners, is this is the first time I'd read screw tape proposed a toast. Actually, because this book goes back to college, I could see where I stopped and I stopped halfway through it. <laughs> Thus, I hadn't actually read this. And so I'm going through it and I text Andrew. I'm like, wow, this just speaks to today's time. And for those who've been tracking with us this entire season, the letters are very much about your own personal spiritual journey. You're probably already noticing you've listened to two parts of this. And these next two parts are going to get heavy, like societal, as civilization as a whole. But you will still be very much able to get out a personal stuff. You're going to realize as he's describing, talking about democracy and the way to influence the culture through politics for the advantage of screw tape, despite it seeming like a societal conversation, you're going to very, I at least could very much relate to it. And I'm like, this is teaching me a lot about my own journey, even though it's not as direct as the letters are. The letters are very much so. 
Absolutely. Well, and I love that it almost feels as if we are in the background, um, kind of seeing behind the scenes of screw tape in our modern age. Uh, and so many of Lewis's writings in the last couple of years, both with some of the political turmoil and with the pandemic and all of that fear, uh, essays and addresses such as Learning in Wartime and uh, On an Atomic Age, the Gospel Coalition, I think, has, has, has commented on both of those things. Those essays are really kind of speaking to where we are right now. And mm -hmm. uh, we're going to be talking about democracy today and education in our last episode. And boy, he could have been writing about our current times. And so there's a really kind of evergreen freshness to that. Well, let's turn to the song of the week. And so David had two choices for us here, Andrew, but you came up with this title. And the title you came up with, The Kids Are All Right, is a song, correct? Yeah. It's um So it's, let's make that it. Yep. Yeah, we're gonna make that the make that the um the the song of the week, the the film of the week. It's uh the title track for a movie, a documentary about this old band from the late sixties, early seventies called The Who. And it was about kind of the coming of age of a teenager in that heady age of rock and roll. And so the kids are all right. And we'll, uh, we'll understand a little bit later. And here's uh, just a few of the lyrics. Um, Sometimes I feel I got to get away. Bells chime. I know I got to get away. And I know if I don't, I'll go out of my mind. Better leave her behind with the kids. They're all right. The kids are all right. The kids are all right. The kids are all right. And it's kind of that, that generation that spawned the I'm okay, you're okay, which is uh, one of the refrains of hell. Uh, I think one of the great gifts of the screw tape letters is just to see how bad off we are. And uh, uh -huh. that's, certainly, uh, that's certainly been a, it's been a mirror for me. I love it. Well, now with the quote of the week, this one comes from Screwtape Proposes a Toast, of course. And I thought this at least came closest to potentially summing up the danger, the main message of this chapter. Under the influence of this incantation, incantation, those who are in any or every way inferior can labor more wholeheartedly and successfully than ever before to pull down everyone else to their own level. And we're going to see that this in this part here specifically today, that there is this, the kids are all right, you chose that because of this incantation of I'm as good as you are, which we're going to unpack in this letter leads to this this is the end thing it can really lead to that's dangerous at least for this episode uh, next week's episode will go a little bit even deeper but i really like that quote absolutely and one of the things that paul ford has has really pointed out in his book the uh, companion to narnia he looks at phrases from lewis um and you see this in studies in words um uh, i dare say lewis writes 20 pages on the on the phrase i dare say or Paul Whoa. Ford notices the phrase for the first time. So in this section, ending section of uh, of Screwtape Proposes a Toast, he takes that phrase, I'm as good as everyone else. And Lewis says, no man who says, I'm as good as you, believes it. He would not say it if he did. The St. Bernard never says it to the toy god, toy dog, the, nor the scholar to the dunce, nor the employable to the bum, nor the pretty woman to the plain. The claim to equality outside the strictly political field is made only by those who feel themselves to be in some ways inferior. And this mm -hmm. is that incantation. I'm as good as you are. 
Uh, uh-huh. And in some ways, it's absolutely not true, nor do we want it to be. But it sounds uh-huh. very democratic. And we'll touch on that, won't we? Uh-huh. And we're going to see in next week's episode, the very end conclusion of this pulls us away from heaven. The 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 main roads that lead us to heaven need a certain, I don't want to spoil it, a certain characteristic, we'll put it that way, that this yeah. incantation prevents. So that's your roadmap, guys. Keep that in the back of your head. If we're going to face these realities, I think I need a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what are you drinking? Well, this week, uh, I'm back to my old standby. I'm back in Florida um, for the summer. uh, And so I was only able to bring a couple of bottles, but I made sure to bring my Lagavulin 16. Uh, Ron Swanson and I are are good friends in that. Um, So the 16, the color is a full amber. And yep, there it is. Look at, I have the Lagavulin 8, by the way. Oh Look at the gosh. lightness difference between just eight years. Same, same scotch, just yeah. eight to 16. That looks, that looks like straw. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. The 12, they say, is the color of lemon, and yours is even lighter than that. Which makes sense because it's not even 12 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so the nose, let's see. The nose of this is um, sea spray peat smoke. Uh, stings the back of the nose. I totally get the sea spray. Obviously, the peat smoke is <sighs> obvious. But the sea spray, I know what the sea spray is now after doing enough of these. Yep. And this one has it. And in the fact, eight does too. Does it? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. and I pulled the cork out and poured myself my dram, and I went ahead and put my drop of water in. And then as I was going to the other room to grab my book, I smelled my fingers, and I could smell the smoke just from pulling the cork. It's the strongest I've ever had. Maybe other than Lafroy. Uh, yeah. So body is full, smooth, and very firm. Let's see. <laughs> oh, man, it's like having it for the first time. Yes. You know what? I'll give it to Lagavulin. Yeah? Despite the massive difference in color, mm-hmm. the 8 tastes really good. The mm. difference between an 8 to a 16, while still definitely present, you can yeah. notice it, isn't as big of a gap as you would think based on the years. Boy, I'm hoping to get over to Scotland maybe next year before the uh, the Oxford the Oxbridge Conference. The C.S. Lewis Foundation is having their Oxbridge Conference, and the Northwind Seminary is right before that making a pilgrimage to Oxford. So we're going to mm. maybe hope to tack on maybe a trip to to see some of these distilleries. Palate is it. peaty dryness like gunpowder tea, which I don't know. As the palate develops, oily, grassy, and in particular salty notes emerge. And it finishes with peat fire warming a bear hug. That's my favorite. I get the peat hug, the peat fire bear hug. Well, now we toast to yes. one of our top tier gold level supporters. Okay. Uh, Andrew, what are you, uh, what's your abilities of giving a toast to a fellow person off the top of your head? Oh, I can do it. I love it. I'm like, you know what? He's in seminary. He's becoming a priest. He's got this. <laughs> so today we're po- toasting Paul Porter and... Paul, we pray that your glasses and your plates and the seats around your table are always full, both of laughter and good fellowship, but also the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in which we gather today. And cheers to you. Cheers, Paul. Cheers. I'm never doing a toast again. That was great, Andrew. (laughs) Ever. I don't know. Did you intentionally wrap in the fact that there were with a bunch of demons around the table feasting. Is that why you chose it? Or was that a coincidence? Because that was very well timed and played. I'll just let everybody assume that it was my, uh, my latent expertise coming forth. <laughs> hey, when it comes to Lewis and Tolkien, it never hurts to talk about food. 
<laughs> yes. Well, before we jump into the discussion, the chapter summary. Screwtape walks us through how they turn the human race into little ciphers, or non-entities. We walk through the 19th century, progressing towards liberty and equality, which on the surface seem beautiful traits. But with the usual screw tape, it twists this logic up and turns democracy into a tool for eliminating individuality and human excellence under the guise of equality. The result is we no longer have great sinners or saints, but humans reduced to nothingness. Great for screw tape, terrible for the kingdom of God. Well, and what I love is that the complaint is we don't have any of those wonderful, raging, huge sinners like in the past. But Screw Tape points out we're never we've got lots of quantity, and so yes. the, there's going to be a, a very full banquet, even if it doesn't taste all that great. Which I'm glad you brought that up because that flows perfectly, guys, with. The recap, since these are not individual chapters, if you remember from the last couple weeks, and specifically the last week's episode, the recap of that was Brenton and David really did talk about that quantity over quality. Mm -hmm. The fact that Screwtape at the dinner as he's proposing his toast is talking about how the feast is not as tasty per se. And that's because the quality of these sinners are not some of the level of the historical ones. But that's by choice. And... It's, it prevents some of the greatest saints from happening too, because if they get to be the, the material, and actually, if you remember, Brenton and David did talk about this specifically, the material that can make up some of the greatest sinners can become some of the greatest saints. And I think David brought up St. Paul, you know, mm -hmm. Paul the Saul, if you remember. And so that's the backdrop that we're coming into this with. What we'll see today in this part, part three, is more the progression of how we got to this point. Well, it's one thing for Screwtape to say we have a high quantity and a low quality, but you might be asking yourself, how do we even get to that stage? How what did what was it about society that Screwtape threw the medium of civilization he did to get a society to this point where you have just a lot of blah non-entities, little ciphers? And so that's where we're at today, and that's where we're gonna kick it off. In the very first sentence he starts out with, he says but do you realize how we have succeeded in reducing so many of the human race to the level of ciphers? This has not come about by accident. It has been our answer, and a magnificent answer it is, to one of the most serious challenges we ever had to face. And I'm assuming he's referring to democracy, uh, which we'll see in a little bit of how there was actually benefits to it that they had to fight against. Absolutely. I mean, one of the great evils in our country is certainly slavery. And once that once that ended, democracy kind of followed hard on its heels. Um, and it's just typically screw tape that in the same way as we've talked about many times before, he will trade a lesser or a greater sin for a lesser sin, for a lesser victory. You know, I get... I get victory over grumbling and I fall into pride, you know, and make myself proud of how I don't grumble anymore. Um, mm -hmm. In the same way, he'll go ahead and forsake the great sinners of the past for the, for the body count. You know, he wants the census of hell to increase. And we too can adopt that and go, okay, Lord, I may not be able to get victory to this against this great and besetting sin today. Um, so I'm going to try to tackle the little daily pinpricks and annoyances. I might ask my, my wife and the people who know me, what are the little irritating things that I do? And see if mm -hmm. I can just take those. Or like I, I've thought about what you said again and again, I may not have time for the whole rosary. Let me do one decade. Yep. 
it's I I think that was a very good reminder. I actually forgot about that. That that is a tool that he uses. Of it's that's not that's not even try to get them to do the biggest sins. If the small one works, if yep. it's cards that we can get them, isn't yes. that what he says? Yes, yep. murder is no better than cards. If cards will do the trick. Yes. By the way, mentioning that one decade rosary, you all sent me a one decade rosary um, from Catholic Woodworker, and we're not sponsored, but we hope to be. Um, <laughs> uh, marvelous gift. And I uh, am doing hospital chaplaincy as part of my training for the, the priesthood. And so I'm wa just walking into rooms, knocking on doors and seeing how people are. And if they're open to a prayer or a word of encouragement, I offer it. And I have uh, pulled that that decade rosary out more often than not when I have my Catholic patients, and oh. we pray the Our Father and the Glory Be and the Our and the Hail Mary, and it's a just a wonderful and sweet moment. And so your gift is bearing much fruit, friends, and thank you for that. Ah, oh, that just brings joy to my heart. I yeah. love it. So we we start by progressing through the 19th century. We almost get a history lesson here in the beginning, and as. <laughs> We mentioned uh, in the previous quote briefly how he says it was one of the most serious challenges they had to face. Well, that challenge was this progression towards liberty, towards equality. Andrew already mentioned the end of slavery. We had the American War of Independence. There was the French Revolution. You know, there was a lot of good that was happening or bad if you're thinking of it in the eyes of Screwtape. It was bad for their mission. And he, he mentions that there was some things that they appreciated throughout this, you know, as all this is happening, you're seeing a bit of a rise of atheism, you're seeing some anti-clericalism, mm -hmm. but overall, it, I get the sense from this that there was more, it was more harmful to their mission in the beginning than good, which is why they needed to start intervening, why they needed to start turning this, call it big, massive ship toward, of democracy in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, Screwtape mentions that this part was just a real bitter blow to them because more of the hungry were getting fed and more of the vulnerable were getting rights and humane treatment. Um, but mm -hmm. another kind of side effect was the rejection of faith, the acceptance of materialism and secularism. So some of what mm -hmm. you're seeing in these, in these years, especially after the Age of Enlightenment, is people are abandoning kind of ritualistic, superstitious religion. But the baby that's getting thrown out is Christian religion as well. And so Screwtape is going to say, okay, great, let's let them advance and be you know, enlightened and think better about things. And so let's see if we can get them to turn away from religion while they do. And let's throw in some other things like materialism, secularism. It's the same thing. Anytime, um, anytime something good goes out of our society, the enemy is going to try and multiply uh, false substitutes that will capture our hearts. Yes. And it says here at the end of the 19th century, it starts to get away from Screwtape. He actually says that it starts to turn in favor of the enemy. Right. And so he mentions this idea where he goes, this dangerous phenomenon of Christian socialism, which I'm curious your thoughts in a second here, became rampant. It says the rich were increasingly giving up their powers, not in the face of revolution or compulsion, but in obedience to their own consciences. And as for the poor who benefited by this, he says they're behaving in the most disappointing fashion. Remember, this is from Screwtape's perspective. So they're, they're behaving in the way God would want, which is instead of using these new liberties uh, as they would have reasonably hoped or expected, which could be 
you know, if someone who's been really downtrodden in all of life gets a chance to, sometimes they snap back and it's like could have been massacre, rape, looting, mm-hmm. or even just perpetual into- uh, intoxication. Instead, they're becoming cleaner, orderly, thrifty, better educated, more virtuous. And so it's actually becoming a dangerous point in time for, call it the the master plan of screw tape, which is why they had to intervene. But I'm curious your thoughts. When it talks about Christian socialism, first of all, what what is it? And then second, do you think, is Lewis saying this is a good thing? And I'll be curious to have a little conversation about this idea from both what it is and what you believe and did Lewis support this? Yeah, well, remember that the guiding principle, um, all extremes except extreme devotion to the enemy are to be mm-hmm. encouraged. And remember that that people are always looking for a panacea. Um, you just have to walk by the, the, the magazine aisle to, to look at what's the latest diet that's going to work. You know, is it keto? Is it carnivore? Is it, you know, is it this? Is it that? Um, paleo, and I'm not disparaging any of those, but what the enemy is going to do is anytime human life gets better, the enemy's going to try to codify that. He's going to try to ritualize that. He's going to then try to exclude people or pit people against each other. So if Christian idea, uh, socialism is the idea that capitalism is a form of greed or avarice um, and not Christian, then Christian socialism would say, okay, we need to be more generous with each other. Of course, the enemy is going to press into what do you mean by Christian and what do you mean by socialism? And the idea today of Christian socialism is, you know, is just a contradiction in terms to a lot of people. And so, um, and although, as Lewis says, there's this thing that's happening, people are becoming cleaner, more orderly, more thrifty, better educated, and even more virtuous, the enemy is then going to try and roll up his sleeves. The history of the church, Matt, is this kind of a bunch of angry young men and women kind of breaking off against the establishment and trying something new, whether it's the apostles or the Antinicene fathers or the mm-hmm. early monks, right? Charlemagne, whatever. These kind of movements away from the, the norm. But then those movements become calcified. They solidify. They become institutionalized. And pretty soon we're just kind of going rote. So the enemy is going to take these advances and then try to destroy them. Um, or try to pervert them. Remember that great concept. People quote it to me all the time. Oh, so your man has become a Christian? Ah, that's great. Some of our best work is done in the church. (laughs) Right? Being cleaner is good. Being more orderly is good. Being more thrifty is good and better educated. But then Screwtape's going to try and find resources and uh, and distract us from the results of such cleanliness, virtue, thrift, education, and orderliness. Yeah, I think... The thing I'm, I'm also quickly curious your thoughts on is, you know, when I hear the Christian socialism, but then I see what he wrote, which was that the wealthy, the people that had the power, the resources, the capital, were giving and yielding and giving that up out of their consciousness, which to me isn't exactly socialism in the sense that we think of it politically today. It's more of like just people understanding that goods should be shared, but not out of compulsion, he kind of says. Like, we shouldn't have necessarily the state taking them all and then distributing them, which that could go down a whole rabbit hole of efficiency and whether that'll actually work or not, side thing. So I kind of get the sense he's more just describing, like, the beginning of Acts, like the community in Acts, when they're taking their goods, they're putting it together, they're sharing it. And I thought that was a beautiful thing. Um, 
But do you think at all, Lewis, is for an idea of like, if you were to think of Christian socialism today? Well, the thing is, what Lewis is saying here in 1960 may be true of the post-war era. Um, mm-hmm. But then look what happened, you know, in the decade after Lewis wrote this mm-hmm. in the 1960s. And all of that kind of prosperity and education led to the 70s, which is the me generation. And that leads us straight into, straight back to, you know, my my favorite uh, favorite target, uh, book three, chapter eight of mere Christianity, Pride is the Great Sin. And mm-hmm. I don't think that you can say that uh, factory workers are giving away their money and that capital they're turning from capitalism and greed. Um, they may feel great about themselves. Um, or and and certainly a lot of uh, a lot of corporations are great citizens, but s- most corporations are going to have a forward-facing um, policy of generosity towards the community. But maybe it still encourage capitalism and selfishness and greed. And I'm not dissing capitalism. I wouldn't be going to school if it weren't for <laughs> capitalism. I am not at all opposed. What I'm saying is that screw tape is going to take generosity, codify mm-hmm. that turn it into Phariseeism, as you'll see at the end of the letter, Um, Mm -hmm. turn it into pride, or turn it into what I like to call enoughism, right? Oh, well, I've done my part. I've paid my tithe. I've done this. When God demands all from us, he demands everything from us. And so if a corporation will do some good, uh, I think that maybe the temptation from Screwtape is is towards self-satisfaction. Lord, I've been good enough. I love how you can you can almost say there's both enoughism and never enoughism. There's enoughism in the sense that I've done enough, mm-hmm. and then a never enoughism is usually there's never enough goods I can accumulate. <laughs> yes, I forget <laughs> usually, who it was. I always misquote this. I think I always attribute it to Steinbeck, but I think it's somebody else uh, who said that there's two kinds of money in the world: no money and not enough money. Mm. Right. And so once we start, you know, caring for the poor, then everybody's going to want to be able to participate in the capitalistic society, and they're going to want to get a little bit more. And remember that Lewis says that pride is not um, being happy in what I have, it's being happy in having a little bit more than the next person. And so I think that these are dangers. I think the problems are different today than the Christian socialist problems that Lewis was writing about in the in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, but I think the problem of the heart is still the same. And the realization that I owe everything to God and that I have to reach out to my neighbor and give a, give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and visit the poor in prison. And as you and I were talking before we started recording, Lewis's standard of giving, he gave away two thirds of his royalty income. And, uh, and he said in Mere Christianity, unless our charities pinch us some, perhaps they're not big enough. And mm-hmm. Walter Hooper has told me that when Lewis was in doubt about whether or not to answer a letter, is it necessary? He said, when in doubt, answer the letter. And when in doubt, give more. So when I become a priest and start a stewardship campaign, I think that's going to be my theme. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, let's turn to Hell's response. Yes. AKA the counterattack. Yeah. So we're in this bad spot. There is a lot of good happening. They can see some stuff. Well, I'm speaking now from heaven's perspective. They're in a bad lot, the bad spot. There's a lot of good for heaven happening right now. So they need to stop this. And here's how it starts out, because we have this pursuit of liberty. He says, hidden in the heart of this striving for liberty, there was also a deep hatred of personal freedom. That invaluable man, is it Rousseau? Did I pronounce Rousseau. that? 
Rousseau yeah, first Rousseau. revealed it. In, in his perfect democracy, only the state religion is permitted. Slavery is restored, and the individual is told that he has really willed, though he didn't know it, whatever the government tells him to do. From that starting point, via Heigl, was e- we easily contrived both the Nazi and the communist state. All right, Andrew, let's unpack this a little more. Do you know more about? Yeah, well, a little bit more. Um, and one of the great uh, benefits that has come out just recently, um, marvelous British or a uh, German scholar, Norbert Feindendegen, uh, and the Dutch scholar Arend Smilde. If you all don't know, Louisiana.nl, uh, invaluable helps there. Uh, Arend Smilde's site. Um, they have just released Lewis's philosophy notes. Um, and so I don't speak much philosophy, uh, but uh, but uh, but Lewis spoke a lot of philosophy and studied a great deal. So Rousseau is an 18th century philosopher and a composer. He moves from Geneva to Paris in 1742 and an influence on the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror. Hegel, an 18th and 19th century German idealistic philosopher. And the reference to planks um, is kind of alluding to the restrictions in the British law concerning cutting down trees and building structures on one's own property. So the individual does what the government tells them to do and believes that the individual was responsible for for choosing that. Um, They they contrive the, the Nazi and communist state. And so this is why it's clear that Christian socialism isn't referring to what we think it is. It's the idea of sharing property, but via a personal choice, but the government's Mm -hmm. starting to crowd in. Um, And then Lewis says, you can't cut down a tree without gaining permission. It's a perfect example of what we're referring to. So in the guise of a democracy, we come to this kind of totalitarianism in the state. Yeah. And that's what, that was a sign to me that he wasn't, if, if there's a few people five minutes ago that were like, Oh, this is all for promoting socialism uh, in this in the modern day sense. I got the sense right from here when he when he very much is saying how dangerous it was to get to the Nazi and communist state. It's not what we traditionally think. Screwtape's going to take any good year, good idea and then codify it, bureaucratize it, make it mandatory for everything. He's going to try and find a way to turn the good thing into something that can become bad. And we see this kind of, and we'll talk about this later when we talk about politics, it seems like we're in this incredibly democratic age. Um, And screw tape, I mean, our last American election, we had more people vote in the presidential election than ever before, which is in the face of it, on the face of it, on the surface of it, a good thing. That's a win for democracy when more people who are eligible are voting. But if you look at the polarization and the hatred and what I call this kind of idealistic totalitarianism, where if you are firmly in one party, you can't even consider the ideas of the other party. Now, please, listeners, hear me. I am not taking a political side nor making a political statement. I'm saying... We had this great rise in participation and screw tapes like, okay, great. What good can I make of the increased activity in the political process in the American yes. democracy? And remember that screw tapes constant goal is hatred. We live in a time where I, I used to love this quote. Well, I mean, I still love the quote, but I feel like it doesn't apply anymore today where a politician once said, if you agree with nine out of 12 things I say, vote for me. 
Because you're not going to agree with everything a person says. That seems a pretty rational statement. And right. he goes, if you agree with 12 out of 12 things that I say, you should probably go seek in the same asylum. <laughs> because it's just unreasonable that you agree with every single thing. Think of your spouses. If anyone's here married, do you agree with every single thing of your spouse? And this is the person you spent a good bit of time vetting and deciding to spend the rest of your life with, mm-hmm. let alone a politician that's just propped in front of you. If you somehow think you agree with 12 out of 12, it's interesting. But I, you had made a comment about that um, to, or earlier, and you were like, well, the funny part is we're so slave to our current parties where you have to believe 12 out of 12, but then you want to step further and you go, you have to also disagree with 12 out of 12 of the other party. Yes. That's unreal. Yes. And, you know, and I, this, please God, make this podcast never devolve into a podcast on, you know, American political system and the ideas. <laughs> yes. Um, but there were opposed political parties from the beginning, and I'm going to expose my political ignorance in saying anything about politics. But my question is, how can anybody's politics or the American political system, it's good insofar as it helps us to perceive the love of God, express love for God in return, and express love for humans, right? If we Mm -hmm. follow the, the, the two great commandments, it is evil so far as it encourages pride, the great sin, right? The sin of all sins, and as it encourages hatred. So if our political system turns me to love, it's having some, it's ultimately good gospel effect. And if it has me turn to hate and to self, well, that's what Screwtape is trying to do. And we see that successfully in spades. You know, the polarization that we've experienced is not so much about politics, but about the political program of the enemy who wants to get us to hate and not to love. So I'd encourage you listeners, as I encourage Matt and myself, where are the ways that I'm hardening my heart against people, not institutions, but against people? And how can I this week soften my heart? How can I use my political views or anything else to soften my heart towards loving people and to treating them like Christ did. And that's ultimately the goal of, of all of this. And that's ultimately what Screwtape wants to get in the way of. Yes. And we've been talking a lot about democracy. And so you guys might be wondering, you know, we kind of jumped ahead of here a little bit in a good sense. And so we're talking about how Screwtape twists it. Well, this is the part where in the toast, uh, Screwtape actually does start bringing in democracy and how it's on the rise and how they use this brilliant strategy to twist it. So it says it was all due to the good work of their philological, I hope I'm saying that right, yep. experts. <laughs> there was a chance that that could have fell flat in my face in that one. <laughs> you um, did great. Well, you don't, wanna, you don't want to anger Tolkien. Tolkien was a philologist, and so <laughs> yes. you, you did well. Yeah, well, and so what they did is they decided to make it that the word could not be clearly defined. Because we we know we don't want it to they don't want it to occur to people that democracy is properly the name of a political system, even a system of voting. Instead, they want to create these other, as they use remote and tenuous connections that they're trying to sell them. And we're going to see here in a second what that is. And it's because most of us have a hard time. You know, almost everyone would agree democracy is probably on surface a pretty good thing and a pretty good political system. The strategy of changing the definition and associating your brain with something else, which we're soon to see is more like equality, makes it really hard to argue against someone. Like yep. it's for the sake of democracy. Well, okay, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and it's, I can't wait till we get to this passage in the four loves during our next season. And um, 
And listeners, because Matt's my friend, I just tracked him down a British first edition of The Four Loves. It'll be on its way to him uh, tomorrow. But one of You the- guys have no idea how excited I am. <laughs> Me too. One of the great quotes in, in The Four Loves is where Lewis says that um, people are more inclined to praise and dispraise than they are to define and describe. I was watching the news the other day and heard a commentator talk about how democracy was invented by Americans in the 1700s. I'm like, boy, Pericles of Athens probably has something to say about that in 500 <laughs> BC. And so if you're going to say democracy, define that, describe that. And that's one of the great gifts of Lewis is by the time we've actually gotten down to a definition, about 75% of the problems that we have will will be resolved. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think of this will come up later in this letter, or I guess not letter, but in this part and then also the next part. But equality, you know, you have to define, is it quality of outcome? Is it quality of opportunity? Those are massively different definitions. I think most people, when you talk to them and hear equality, they're all for equality of opportunity. Things that we can do to create equal opportunity for people is a good thing. Sure. Then you'll hear others that when they hear it, they'll think equality of outcome. And there'll be a big resistance to that. And maybe there should be because we aren't all the same people. We want individuality and people have their certain gifts and talents and desires. And to try to force people into the same outcomes is just not going to work. But people just don't take the time to define those things. Yeah. Lewis, and this is, I think, controversial, but really helpful. You know, I'll go back to that passage where he said, no one who says I'm as good as you believes it. He says the claim to equality outside the strictly political field is made only by those who feel themselves to be in some ways inferior. What it expresses is precisely the itching, smarting, writhing awareness of an inferiority which the patient refuses to accept. He, uh, a few years earlier in Weight of Glory, said this, I believe in political equality, but there are two opposite reasons for being a Democrat. You may think all men so good that they deserve a share in the government of the Commonwealth and so wise that the commonwealth needs their advice. That is, in my opinion, the full romantic doctrine of democracy. On the other hand, you may believe fallen men to be so wicked that not one of them can be trusted with any irresistible power, irresponsible power over his fellows. That I believe to be the true ground of democracy. So Lewis is defining it as we're crappy people, Mm-hmm. We're full of sinfulness and sinful patterns. Better get more of us on board so that we can check each other and kind of get this kind of group mindset. And we should be careful too. And he says, uh, defining, but there are two opposite reasons for being a Democrat, not necessarily what we mean by Democrat today. Mm-hmm. I think there he's referring to like a Democrat as a person who espouses the values of democracy, probably. Right. You said that's correct? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, we don't want to pigeonhole our Lewis into one party or the other, per se. Yeah. Well, and one of the astounding things in both in the last two presidential elections and some of the fallout of that is that I've never seen my country so passionate that they're doing the right thing, even though they are so polarized. And lots of people have been lamenting that there used to be a middle ground where even people of opposite political opposing political views could come and discuss what we all have in common. And it's almost as if 
the enemy is screw tape is trying to obfuscate the fundamental thing that democracy has in common or the the good values of it he's it's such a good thing and if it's as good a thing as democracy he's going to really make it a target like he said earlier in the chapter um mm -hmm. to do great evil out of it so before turning to some of these consequences let's hit home this final and most important part of this so we've talked about how wanting to change the definition of democracy and associating it more with this idea of equality but it's more than that it's what andrew mentioned before we even jumped into the chapter when we were talking about the quote of the week it's this idea that i'm as good as you like the goal that they have here when you think of democracy it's you want them to get to the point where they they think we're all so equal i am just like you that I am as good as you. And that's not what democracy is really, from a definitional perspective, trying to espouse. But if Scrooge Tape can twist to that, what we'll see in the remainder of this conversation and next week are the consequences of that idea of a world belie believing I'm as good as you. And this isn't referring to, yes, we are all worthy in God's eyes. That's mm -hmm. a different sentence. You're going to see here, it's like more technically speaking of like, even if I don't study very hard, I'm kind of lazy. I'm still as good as the student that works their butt off and works really hard. Well, no, I'm not quite sure you are in that sense. Well, <laughs> we're not in the in the academic sense, right? Yes. I mean, uh, to say I'm as good as you and to mean I am as equal value to humanity and especially in the eyes of God, that's absolutely a true statement that we will never object to and never resist. Yes. But I sure hope that my doctor, my surgeon, is better at science than I was, <laughs> right? <laughs> you are great with numbers and you do financial planning. Man, I hope that you're better than me, right? Yes. I hope that you're better than me. And so it's not, uh, it doesn't take away the dignity of every human being for people to vary in quality and quantity of gifts and their excellence and their training. Yes, and, and we should promote this for a yes. healthy functioning society because- Andrew wants someone like me that's better than him at the financial side of things. And I want something like Andrew, who's better at spiritual guidance, spiritual practices, bringing people to God and through the kingdom and the ministry and everything he's doing, because I don't have as much time to spend on that. And so that way I can go to him for advice because he's more of an authority. And we want to promote these differences and these distinctions because it builds a better body and community. But as we're going to see here, that's not what screw tape wants. No. And ultimately, and I just want to toss this in, uh, St. Paul's theology about all being a body and, and many members. And if I'm a thumb, I don't want to be an ear. I want to be the best thumb that I can be. And I want to be a better thumb than the ear could ever be. Um, for yes. the ear to say I'm as good a thumb as you are is ludicrous. I want to find what calling God has for me. And then I want to devote my time and my energy to being good at that, to being generous at that, to being excellent at that, and to doing, to working hard at that as unto the Lord so that I can bring glory to God so that when someone needs a thumb, I'm right there with them. So, but what does screw yes. tape have to say about this? Yeah, well, the first benefit of them convincing society that this principle is I'm as good as you is and I'm going to quote this directly because a lot of good stuff here, that you thus induce him to enthrone at the center of his life a good, solid, resounding lie. <laughs> no man who says, I'm as good as you, believes it. The claim to equally 
the, the claim to equality outside the strictly political field is made only by those who feel themselves to be in some way inferior. When it expresses what it expresses is precisely the itching, smarting, writhing awareness of an inferiority which the patient refuses to accept. And there's you know there's something else here that we haven't actually mentioned that the patient refuses to accept. I think it's important in our own lives to recognize I've said this to people before. Uh if you judge a tree by how well it climbs, or you judge a fish by how well it climbs a tree, you're going to think a fish is pretty stupid and worthless. Mm-hmm. But that's not the standard you judge the fish by because that's not what it's for. Right. And so if I have an, infer- an awareness that I'm inferior to someone else in some certain way, I'll accept it. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm not as good as that because that's not what I'm, I don't, that's not my identity. That's not what I'm meant to be good at. I'm not meant to be a basketball player. I'm not meant to be whatever. I'm meant to be who I am. Right. And, you know, I think that this is the great gift of the gospel, uh, especially in our age, that Second uh, Corinthians says that our power is made perfect in weakness, right? And that we can safely acknowledge, I'm not good at this. I have need of you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't want a fish to climb a tree. I want a fish to climb on my bagel. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be smoked. I want it to be red. And I want to cover it with capers and onions and, and, uh, and oh. cream cheese. Right. Um, and, and it points to this kind of incredible diversity and our need for each other because each of us are kind of like pieces of a mosaic that present to the world a picture of Christ. And so mm-hmm. our unique strengths. But I think even more so in this kind of upside down world, it's our weaknesses that become our glory because it's our weaknesses through which God can work and move and inhabit us by his Holy Spirit to take our place and to acknowledge our weakness, right? Like like King David said, to say, my sins are ever before me. Like St. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. To acknowledge my own weakness in some ways becomes the place where not only can Christ break through my into my life and fill up my weaknesses, but I can look at my brother and talk about my weaknesses or my sister and let their strengths prop me up while also giving them permission to talk about their weaknesses and how the strength of Christ is what lifts us all up and pushes us on towards his kingdom. Oh, well said, Andrew. Hmm. And and what's interesting about all of this is if you don't accept this, if you have this inferiority complex, you have a resentment towards superiority, which mm-hmm. you'll probably see where this is going in the next five minutes, listeners. Mm-hmm. And this becomes really dangerous. And What's interesting is this this resentment to superiority can be masked as almost like a positive. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, here's someone who speaks English rather more clearly and euphoniously than I. It mm-hmm. must be a vile, upstage, la-di-da affection. Here's a fellow who says he doesn't like hot dogs, thinks himself too good for them, no doubt. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it, but it's they're terrible because... It's not democratic. Therefore, it's not good what they're doing. And what's interesting is Lewis points out via screw tape, all that is is envy. Mm-hmm. But it's flipped in its head where it almost becomes a virtue. The person saying that comes across as virtuous. Like, look, I'm putting down this pedantic superiority person over there, awful human being, bad for society. 
and it, it almost makes you look good. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a social justice cause of some sort to bring that person down. It's terrible. It's the most clever thing that he came up with, screw tape, because it's just envy. <laughs> Without any question. And to put people down for their strengths is in some ways to fall prey to that great commandment, covetousness, right? Against covetousness. You know, to wish that I were better than I was, and and it's one of the things that we will um, will see at the beginning of the four loves is uh, the the appreciative love. Even if I can't be that good myself, I give thanks to God that Matt is financially astute, and I hope someday to enlist his services professionally. But <laughs> instead of looking at him and being jealous, oh, he's tall and he's blonde and he's friendly and he's funny and he's great at numbers. And instead of resenting the world because Keep of that. Keep coming, Andrew. This is nice. <laughs> and he's <laughs> single, <it> ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and he's faithful and he's funny and um, and humble. But instead of resenting somebody for the gifts that I that they have, I give glory to God that there's somebody who's so unlike me. And that that's part of the mosaic that makes up the picture of Christ in this world. And we need each other. We need each other. And Screwtape is trying to get us to say, I have no need of thee. Mm-hmm. And then here is what the danger is, is if we have this superiority, resentment or superiority, it creeps into the spiritual side of things. Yeah. And so if we have a society that's resenting and putting down people that are doing good stuff, well, that's going to carry into people that are trying to live virtuous lives. And I like that I put here, the people who would really wish to be and are offered the grace which would enable them to be honest, chaste, or temperate, refuse it. Mm-hmm. I bolded that, I underlined it, I started it because that's a scary point in time. And I also like how he put in are offered the grace because mm-hmm. it's we pray for it and God gives us that grace to be honest, chaste, and temperate. But you're gonna stick out because you know what? That's not a normal quality for people. And people might call you superior or, or like resent your superiority. And you know what? Don't let that ever stop you. Mm-hmm. I think that the answer to covetousness is to give glory to God. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be frank. Um, my wife and I just we just came back from, from worshiping at Church of the Redeemer Episcopal Church in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, I got to serve at the altar. And as the altar, I was the second reader. Um, as a subdeacon, but my wife is the first reader, and we never ever read. She never reads without people coming up to her and telling her how wonderful a lector she is, a reader. And I'm like, mm. well, I'm the one in seminary, and I'm the one who's on the podcast, and I'm the one who's the <laughs> teacher, and I'm the, you know, and they like her reading better. Thanks be to God that there's somebody in the family who read, who is a better reader than I am. And so mm. Lewis is always kind of inviting this into kind of um, this cheerful humility. Right, uh, he said to one uh, to a nun um, that he, I think what our Lord calls us to is cheerful insecurity. Right? Mm. When he got to Ox- or to Cambridge, they gave him a professorship. They gave him they tripled his salary. There's all this hullabaloo. Here he is, and da da da. And he he wrote to this. I think it was to Sister Penelope. He said, "My lectures have been never more poorly attended as they are now. It must be rather frightfully good for me." Right, to receive even this kind of humil- apparent humiliation as a way to mortify the flesh, and mm-hmm. that's why Lewis is my master. Is that he takes these difficulties of life that we all go through, and he receives them as a grace from God. Right, um, this this invitation to acknowledge that when somebody is superior to me and I am inferior to them, 
It's an invitation to give glory to God that they have chosen, he has chosen to gift them and that he has chosen to make me weak um, so that he can give me glory. Yes, that's the operative grace that's happening right there. And what we have, so with the superiority complex, people stop trying to strive for virtue. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what you get here is a culture that no longer promotes human excellence. Mm -hmm. And here's a few different things that Lewis says is around this. What I want to, actually, Lewis, screw tape says, pardon me, guys. What I want to fix your attention on is the vast overall movement towards the discrediting and finally the elimination of every kind of human excellence. Democracy, in the incantatory sense, is now doing for us the work that was once done by the most ancient dictators. Wow. Yeah. Allow no preeminence among your subjects. Let no man live who is wiser or better or more famous or even handsomer than the mass. Cut them all down to a level. All equals. Like yeah. that's the end. Everything we've been talking about right now is getting to this point. And it's a very mm -hmm. dangerous point. Mm -hmm. He uses this great image that we can't really dive into, but I commend to your listeners of going through a cornfield and swinging a cane and chopping off all of the stalks until they're all the same mm -hmm. size. And in so doing, the, eliminating most of the wheat. And we're seeing it in our society. And once again, I'm not going to be political, but this idea that nobody should feel less than, nobody should feel worse than anyone else. Boy, I hope there are people who are better at math than I am. I hope there are people who are better at science than I am. You know, when I when I taught high school students, I'm like, you better work your tails off because I'm going to be in a nursing home. And if you're not better at science than I am, I'm doomed if you're my doctor, right? Yes. You know, and so this kind of excellence um, in the effort to avoid pride it gives this kind of pride in equality, but it, 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 it overemphasizes the importance of equality. And so the danger of being excellent is pride, but the danger of this false humility is in some ways more dangerous, and we're seeing it today. Yes. And what happens when you have that stalk chopping that you mentioned? I'm glad you create, brought that image up. If all of the heads are chopped off to be the same length, you lose individuality. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk a lot more at length in our next episode on this. Mm -hmm. But that is so dangerous to the spiritual journey, the loss of individuality. And here's mm -hmm. something Lewis says here. I've said that to secure the damnation of these little souls, these creatures that have almost ceased to be individual, is a laborious and tricky work. But if proper pains and skills are expended, you can be fairly confident of the result. The great sinners seem easier to catch, but then they're incalculable. After you have played them for 70 years, the enemy may snatch them from your claws in the 71st. They are capable, you see, of real repentance. They are conscious of real guilt. They are, if things take the wrong turn, as ready to defy the social pressures around them for the enemy's sake as they were to defy them for ours. So this is the whole point of why mm -hmm. they chose quantity over quality, guys. Mm -hmm. This is this explained, this sums up what we've really been talking about here. The great sinners... I have no problem defying the social norms. Mm -hmm. And when that's used for the enemy or for screw tape, beautiful. You know, they're happy. Mm -hmm. But the second they catch on to it, they're usually smart, they're usually wise. If they get some self-awareness and they repent, that becomes dangerous. Part of that danger comes from, and part of the danger of democracy is to look around and say, you know what, I'm not that bad a person. In fact, I'm better mm -hmm. than most. As if the standard of goodness with the majority of the democracy is the standard. 
And yet God calls us to a high and holy standard. It's with fear and trembling that I repeat the words of Jesus from Matthew 5, 48. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, right? And that's the way to shine like stars in the heaven, to be perfect. And what God demands from us is perfection. And I think that one of the great misnomers, and it's a, it's a heresy that I fell into, it's a lie I fell into before I was a Christian. Well, if I'm a little bit better, then I am bad. If I'm a little yes. more good than I am bad, I'm going to be fine. Or if I'm a little bit better than everybody else. And that's the danger of, the, of democracy. True democracy, like Lewis said in Weight of Glory, should say, we're all screw-ups. And we need all of us screw-ups together to kind of keep everybody from being even worse screw-ups. And ultimately, in the Christian sense, I think what it means is I need to understand how fall, far I fall short so that I can see how great the, the, the depth of the mercy of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to pay for those sins of everybody who thought they were good enough. There's no good enough. There's only perfect, and that can only be accomplished by Christ. And so this, this falling towards repentance and confession is this glorious fall that I recognize that Christ is the only one who is good, and we are all the chief of sinners. And because of that, I can exult in the great mercy of God and then hopefully show everybody else, even if they seem to be a worse sinner than me, show them that great mercy all the more, because that's somebody, too, that Christ died for. Screwtape doesn't want that message getting out. Mm, Andrew, I think that's a decent uh, place to, to wrap this part up. What do you think? Any, well, any closing thoughts? Or you, you like that? Well, I, we have the advantage that we get to do the closing a uh, few pages of of, uh, of Screwtape proposes a toast. So we can probably cut it off here and then join join up uh, any remaining ideas in our next. I love it. So, listeners, you know, one thanks for joining us, uh, and we really want to thank all of our top tier supporters on Patreon. Yes. It's it's you guys are a blessing. It's it's amazing. It helps us to be able to produce this. High level of content. Um, well, that and David's administrative <laughs> and abilities and due diligence and discipline. Work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it also, in addition, in addition to that, not just the content and David's great work and organization, but this growing community where we call mm-hmm. each other into account and we share our gifts. And I'm just so grateful to be to be part of that. And we invite you to join us on Patreon and get on the Slack channel and help us to raise a glass to you. Um, I think that just our sheer numbers show that we're touching a chord. And hopefully, mm-hmm. please God, we are we are speaking His good news um, in this difficult and troubled world. And so we invite you to come along on this pilgrimage, on this journey. Well, with that, Andrew, listeners, join us next time when we'll be going further up and further in. Cheers! Cheers! Cheers.